Hey, Craig. Hey, Jeff. Hi. We we lost a quarterback. Oh, but but we Wait. we have a quarterback. I we got a quarterback. What's what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> we. I mean, I, I I I think I wrote this in in my story, but basically the the hook for my my story on Cam Ward's commitment was. Uh, a few weeks ago, it would have been, you know, unfathomable to think about losing Jaden Delora. And then even more unfathomable would be the idea that maybe we lose Jaden Delora and maybe we upgrade in the process. <laughs> like it's kind of yeah, uh, the whole thing is, is is kind of bonkers. Yeah, we are in the transfer portal, transfer portal era. And uh, this is your portal to that era for the with the yes. Cougs podcast versus everyone uh, i'm craig powers this is episode number 154 and for the 154th time i am joined by jeff newser and jeff um like, like we were talking about just now uh you know Jaden delora is gone he is now an arizona wildcat um, yeah but the cougs brought in uh eric morris his former quarterback from uh university of incarnate word uh cameron ward to fill in that position and i you know honestly i i've i've watched film you've watched film and he's got a, a little bit of a, a a wonky release but man he he sure looks like he can make the throws and he's the right size and he he just looks like a guy that was legit and a lot of people thought so too who's ranked as one of the top guys in in the transfer portal so and and old miss wanted him and and WSU ended up with him. So uh, if you know if you're sad about losing Jaden Delora, maybe we maybe also be happy uh, that we brought in a guy that already knows how to run Eric Morris's offense and uh, is pretty damn good at it. Yeah, when we talked about him, you know, however many weeks ago, as as a guy who might follow Eric Morris here, I had not looked very closely at what he actually did outside of the stats. Like I knew, uh, I knew he put up some huge stats. I knew, uh, you know, he was very prolific. I didn't know much about his, like what he, how he actually played. Like, I, you know, um, didn't, you know, there are FCS quarterbacks who put up big stats and, um, do pretty spectacular things. And, you know, you never, you never really quite know what the situation is there. And guy, you know, guys usually end up at FCS, you know, for, for a reason. And, um, you know, outside of the issues with, you know, transferring where, you know, you'd have to sit 
for a year to to up transfer. You know, there are reasons why there were not very many of those guys that came up and played. I mean, we had one right that that came up as a grad transfer, engaged Gabrud, uh, who didn't play. Now, I, I do maintain that Gabrud might have been fine uh, because uh, you know <laughs> he ended up behind Gordo, and the guy ended up you know leading Mike Leach's best offense. So, I mean, who knows? Gabrud could have been fine just because yeah. he couldn't beat beat out Anthony Gordon doesn't mean he couldn't play. But uh, I digress. You know. With Cameron Ward, I started looking closer at him uh, when you know he started becoming a legitimate possibility, and boy, I was <laughs> I was unbelievably impressed. Um, he is just, yeah, I mean he's he's six foot three, he's two hundred and twenty pounds, so he's bigger than Delora. Um, the arms a little bit bigger, I think. Um, the release is a hell of a lot faster. Um, you know, you say wonky, it's, it definitely is a little unorthodox, but, um, immediately when I looked at it, it reminded me of Philip rivers, which, um, it's kind of this three, you know, three quarters, you know, sling it, um, style and, and man, does the ball come out of his hand fast. So when, you know, you're running those air raid type, you know, screens, quick slants, things like that, that you try to do. Uh, you know, to keep defenses from, you know, getting on top of you when you're dropping back, you know, 40 or 45 times a game. I mean, the ball comes out so, so, so fast. He reads the defense so fast. It really is crazy um, what he's able to do as a passer. And so I, I do think there's a chance. I mean, obviously it's, you, you know, you're saying a lot when you're, when you're like, you know, oh, well, they, they upgraded. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that definitive because we know Jaden Delora was pretty damn good, right? And we knew that, you know, his upside was huge and um, he was just sort of scratching the surface, I think, of what he was yeah. able to do. Uh, but man, like just, you know, just from looking at the guy, it's like, holy shit, this guy can really, really throw the ball. He's really good. And and I think when you combine that with what you mentioned that, you know, he's he knows the offense inside and out already. Um, you know, that just, that just makes it that much more, um, the, the, the potential that much higher, uh, for what he'll be able to do coming in just out, outside of his out and out talent. Well, and one, one thing that makes me feel better about an FCS quarterback coming to FBS is, is, you know, were they dominating FCS because they're super athletic and they can run around and, and, you know, evade tacklers, putting up yardage on the ground, which may not be an athletic advantage they have, um, in, in the FBS, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really, he, he's not, he's not really much of a runner. He doesn't scramble around that much. Right. You know, he, he, he moves in the pocket, uh, but he, he's looking to throw the ball, um, as, you know, as a good air rate quarterback should be doing. And so, yeah. um, so it's been, it, it uh, that stood out to me when I, I watched the highlights is that he's, he's just a big dude. He's a big, strong arm dude, and he is not looking to run. And that makes me feel better. Like, cause if he was putting up a ton of yardage on the ground, uh, maybe that's not coming when you're playing, you know, cause Jaden Delore is pretty damn fast and, and he doesn't put up big running numbers. Uh, you know, he, 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 he put some nice plays, but he, he didn't, you know, we didn't see him, you know, run around everywhere and, and pick up big, big chunks all the time. So, you know, it takes a, it, it takes quite a special athlete to be able to do that uh, at, at the FBS level. And, but he doesn't really need it. He, he's got the arm. He's got the accuracy. Um, and, and when I think about Delora, uh, one thing I was a bit, I, I've been watching Delora through the last, you know, one, two seasons, 16 starts or whatever, 16 games. Um I, I was I was always kind of wondered like how did he fit uh, you know Mike Leach recruited him but he didn't really yeah. seem to fit 
a Mike Leach air raid mold because he's not very accurate. Um, he's a big play guy. He can make things happen, but he's pretty inconsistent. And I'm guessing they weren't expecting him to see the field. At Leach's staff wasn't expecting him to see the field as early as he did under Rolovich uh, no. because it, 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 it seems like he was going to you know, have some work to do to become a, a proficient air raid quarterback where you need accuracy above all else. We know, we know that Leach, you know, we look at the guys like, like, uh, you know, Gordon and, and Minshew and, and Falk that excelled in that offense did not have huge, huge arms. And, you know, they were more about good releases and they were about uh, hitting guys in stride and knowing the offense and, and not saying Jaden couldn't have done any of that, but, it seems like for an air raid, Cameron Ward seems like a better fit also because he's ran it before. And yep. so that, and we know that it took, it takes like half a season, maybe a full season for guys to pick some of these things up um, yep. to kind of get in the rhythm of it. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, obviously Ward is going to have some speed to adjust to. But it looks like he's coming to campus already, so he's going mm-hmm. to have spring ball to adjust to yep. that speed, which is really, really big. Yeah. Because um, honestly, he needs to be the starter. Like if you look at what the guys that we have, he he is coming in to be the starter. Yeah. I mean, the only way he doesn't start is if he gets hurt, right? Like that's that's it. <laughs> if he gets hurt, maybe something happens, but um, you know, and we can speculate about why Jaden Delora decided to transfer out. Uh, you know, but my, my personal belief, and and this is just Jeff, the podcaster speculator, not Jeff, the reporter, um, you know, I think that they knew about Ward's commitment probably last Friday. And then by Friday evening, Jaden Delora was out would be my guess. Uh, you know, because Friday was when Ward said, you know, I'm announcing on Monday, Jaden Delora says I'm out. Like, I I think that sort of all of that is uh, a little too coincidental. Uh, to be, you know, to, 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 to be a coincidence. Like that's, I think probably that's how things went. Um, you know, it's, I, I mean, I don't blame Delora if, if, if that's why he went, I don't, you know, totally blame him. Um, you know, they're bringing in a guy who, you know, knows the system has run the system who, uh, has this, you know, same amount of eligibility as you, and, you know, once you've started, it's like, I mean, you see yourself as a starter, right? Like you mentioned yeah. that, you know, if he had come in under Leach, there's there's a 0% chance he would have played at all at this point, right? Like he would have not played at all. Mike Leach puts guys back there who have, you know, tens of thousands of reps in the air raid, you know, in practice, and they they just don't play until they're ready. And it's it's, you know by the time he gets eight years deep in a program, he's got a, a room full of guys, you know, Cam and Cooper very likely would have been uh, a starter. He would have gotten a chance to run out there for, you know, however many games yeah, or Gunner, you know, one of the yeah. two, I think. I think it probably would have been Cooper. I, I just, I know Leach was, um, you know, he's real high on Cooper. I always thought Cooper could be a good quarterback. Um, so I think it probably would have been him. Delora would have spent the last two years not playing and, yeah. you know, things, you know, might've been different, but when he spends two years playing, being the guy, you know, and he leads, uh, you know, a team to, you know, one of its bigger victories in years in the apple cup, um, you know, he, 
I don't know, probably feels a little hard done by it. Probably feels a little, uh, to borrow an overused term, disrespected. And I mean, I don't, you know, I, I can't blame him if that's how he feels like, you know, players believe in themselves and, you know, I, if that's how, if he feels hard done by it, then, then I get it. And I, and, and I don't think anybody's wrong here. I know that, you know, we had a few people in the comments saying, you know, oh, well, Dickert shouldn't have recruited a guy. We wouldn't have lost him if he hadn't recruited a guy who, uh, you know, played, played the same position, had the same number of years. And, you know, it's kind of a dick move. And I'm just like, you know, the coach's job is to as, amass as much talent as possible. <laughs> like, like, you know, the, the best programs in the country take five-star quarterbacks every year. So, yep. y- you know, this isn't a situation and where... WSU is taking high three, four stars every year. Yeah. You know, so if you got a chance to grab a really good quarterback, you do it. And, you know, if the kid who's already there thinks that's, you know, rude, then, you know, you just say, okay, well, thanks and best of luck and you know, wish them well. I mean, there's, there's just really, yeah. there's just really nothing else to do. You know, you just well, amass talent and, and you go from there. And, you know, you think back to Dickert's uh, kind of opening conference after he accepted the the permanent job. I he The way he was talking about how he wanted to build the offense around Jaden Delora, you know, that yep. that honestly looks to me like he was doing a sale, making a sales pitch. So I'm, I'm thinking Delore was already thinking of moving on at that point. I'm sure Delore was already thinking of moving on as soon as Rolovich was gone. Cause yep. that, that, you know, that's, that's a guy who recruited him in Hawaii when he, Rolovich was at Hawaii. And then, and then he, but he had already committed to WSU and then he recommitted to Rolovich. So this, you know, he already went through two, uh, two coaches at WSU really. And probably wasn't looking to, you know, stick around for a third one, you know, the coaching staff wasn't going to be there. Um, you know, they, they probably could have talked him in to stay in, in some way. But once you have an idea that a guy may be leaving, you have to have another option. They weren't going to have, they weren't going to rely on Xavier Ward and Victor Gabalas to start next year. Um, you know, cause they already lost Adrian Laura from the, the recruiting class. So they had to bring, yep. they had to bring a quarterback in regardless like you just needed a guy in the room and you had to, if you're going to look for a guy, you might as well look for a guy that can start. And, and like you said, you gotta, I mean, there, just because you have a good player in place, there's no reason not to go get another good player. There's no salary cap here. That's not, it's not like the NFL where it's like, well, if you had two good quarterbacks and you had to pay them both 20, 20, $30 million a year, you can't do that. But here you can just stack them. And and yeah, it's fine. You know, Delora doesn't want to. I mean, Delora's going to Arizona. He's going to be the starter there. Like, there's that. I mean, he's he's better than Will Plummer. We already know he's beaten out Gunnar Cruz before. So, like, you know, I, I he they probably sold him as you're going to come in and you're going to be the guy. And it would be good for him. You know, they're 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 they obviously were terrible this year, but they're adding a bunch of transfers and. Um, you know, I'm not looking forward to facing Delora uh, in November, and in, nope. in in Tucson <laughs> for sure. Uh, no, nope. yeah, so, I mean he's he's gonna uh, relish that. But yeah. honestly, hopefully again, we'll get I, overhyped Delora that you know overshoots yeah. every receiver. Like, yes, yeah. yeah, what please. We're for. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, it's just like I can't I can't be mad about anyone in this. Like, I can't be mad at anyone in this situation. Like, cause it's no. just a weird situation. Like a coach left in the middle of the season and, yep. and you know, you thought he was going to be your guy for four years and then a new coach comes in. He doesn't know if this guy's sticking around. He's got to look for someone else, you know, and then 
of course, you know, he he fi- he goes and finds his offensive coordinator, and lo and behold, he's got a quarterback who already runs that offense. So, you know, what are you not going to look for nice fits like that? So, it's good and and hey, uh, WSU is able to come in with the the right NIL deal <laughs> to yeah. to bring him in, beat out <laughs> uh, Ole Miss. Yeah, it's. And, that was super funny reading that story, man, because uh, I, I don't think I'm I'm giving anything away now to say that, uh, you know, in our Slack chat, there was there was chatter about what was going on behind the scenes with the NIL stuff with Cougs first and all that. And it was like, wow, OK, like we're really we're really doing this. And then and then the story came out on Cougs. If you guys haven't seen it, um, I'll, I'll try to link to it in the in the show notes. But um, story on Cougs fan detailing how, you know, these, you know, alumni from you know who get together with kooks first uh you know put together essentially put together an nil package for for cameron ward um it's it's pretty wild man that's that is a that is not a thing that i anticipated developing out of nil rights that we would be dropping bags to get quarterbacks to wsu um that was that that was definitely unanticipated and and frankly i love it yeah and you know i'm sure they were just in case they had one that we, they potentially were working, making up for Jaden Delora, and there's going to be more guys. And I think you know, if you're a Kook fan, you should feel good about the fact that we now have this pretty organized thing in place for creating these NIL packages. You know, as far as we know, like they, as far as we've heard, that you know they got a lawyer, they got a guy that can create these contract type things, and and. You know, they, they have a group of, of Coug businesses that can uh, be a part of the NIL deals and, you know, who can be represented by these players. Um, it, it's nice to see that WSU has that ready to go because <laughs> if yeah. they didn't, they'd probably be pretty fucked. <laughs> like, so yep. um, uh, it's it's good. Um, it's good for the players, that's for sure. You know, Cameron Cameron's coming here and he's going to have a little little extra money and i honestly with the status he's going to come in with and he's going to be kind of the lead guy he deserves it and so um you know deserves to make some money off of that notoriety and and, and you know the tickets he may sell or whatever um so you know i, I i'm glad that it's it was good to hear I'm, you know uh, kudos to Coog fan for not you know for writing that story also being a part of it and everything so um, that's nice to see. Um, nice to see that subscription money is going to a good cause. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, but obviously, you know, the transfer portal is uh, never ending. And WSU has uh, three more guys that uh, obviously we saw that Cam and Cooper uh, landed in Hawaii. Um, good for him. Uh, found a place yeah. to go. Maybe, you know. D- decent chance he gets to play there because they are losing <laughs> yeah. people left and right. Um, <laughs> they are. They need players, man. They yeah. need players after that that whole offseason debacle with Todd Graham, man. That's whoo boy. <laughs> but uh, it's you know it's it's not a great situation in terms of uh, you know the the coaching staff setup and you know he he may very well have another coach before his career is over. But um, you know, good for him finding a spot that wants him and. Um, you know, I know that we have a lot of fans who, you know, were sort of obsessed with the fact that he was a four star and why didn't he ever get a chance? And it's like, man, he got lots of chances every time he was on the field. He was bad. So, um, you know, I, I really hope that 
you know, Hawaii works out for him. I, I hope he's good. And, but I also think that, uh, you know, if, if you are, if you are inclined to wonder what, you know, the rest of the college football world, um, thinks of Cooper, you know, he was on the market for a while, right? Like he announced mm -hmm. after the apple cup yep. that he was transferring and then didn't announce until just now that he was going to Hawaii. Uh, Jane Delora was out there for about 48 hours before 72 hours, something like that before, uh, committing to Arizona. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, more power to him for going to Hawaii. I hope it works out. I hope he starts. Um, also, that's probably about where he belongs. Yeah, and um, it, it's honestly, if you're going to end up a place, uh, spend a few years in in Hawaii. You know, he's yep. an LDS kid that, you know, there's a big LDS population out there. Um you know, he can, he can be around if that's, you know, if he wants to be comfortable with that. Um, plus, you know, they, they got the beaches. He's, he's already got that look, man. He's already got that long, beautiful yeah. hair. Yes, you know, he he's, he, he so, sounds like a great setup for him. Um, and hopefully he gets some run and, and you know, I'm rooting for him. He, you know, he's, he's been in at WSU, you know, he did 40 billion reps of the, in the air raid and then, and then came in and, had to learn a new uh, uh, wing T formation package, like I don't, and and uh, you know that was it was it was quite a journey for him. So you know, hey, go go enjoy some warm weather. Uh, you're, you're not going to have to worry about slipping on the ice in uh, in Honolulu. So that's yep. that's that's nice. Um, Sunshine, beaches, water. So yeah, that sounds like the dream. So on top Good of that, we the, we also got three more guys entering the portal. Um, so two of the guys haven't played much: uh, Penny Noalu and uh, Billy Pospis. I don't even Pospisil. That's the hardest. <laughs> I, name I think for me that's right. Pospisil. I think is Billy right. Pospisil. Um, that is like you know if if you got any liquid in your mouth, that's that's a hard yeah. word to say. Good luck um, with that. Yeah. So. Uh, and then, of course, I think the the biggest one is Brian Green. Um, obviously, uh, we didn't you know he didn't know if he was going to come back or not. He's got a, it's extra year of, a, of eligibility he's using, um, but he's going to go try to play somewhere else. You know, a guy that played a lot of time at center and then at guard. Uh, so uh, you know, a former walk on guy um, out of Yakima, where I'm from. So I uh, played at Ike, um, but. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously uh, that, you know, so I don't know what it seems like he would have plenty of playing time. So I, maybe there's just not not a coaching staff he wants to be, yep. or, you know, uh, might be, be with, more to know. it, which which is yeah. fine. You know, these kids commit to certain guys and they are, they have to go through changes. And that's kind of what I said with the Laura is you, you keep you, know, you go through so many changes. At some point, you're like, maybe you want to make the choice in the yeah. change. Right. And, and yep. he's well, especially he's worked... for a guy who was a walk on, right? Like yeah. he didn't have a lot of options at the beginning, you know, and he will now like a guy with that yep. much experience and that ability and that nice track record um, that people will want him. Now, where does that yep. put WSU? Um, <laughs> uh, already, a thin, already a thin offensive line coming back. Uh, this is just a, another guy on top of it. Now you're losing basically four starters from the offensive line going into next year uh, with Beresford also. And then obviously Ryan and Lucas 
uh, gone. So it's going to be a very different looking offensive line next year. And obviously, if you watch the particularly first half of the Sun Bowl, that could be a bit scary. Um, but, you know, a lot of these guys were recruited to play in an air raid uh, style. Uh, so yep. maybe maybe they will find that their talent fits a lot better in, in with uh, Eric Morris's offense. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm a bit worried. I'm not ready to say it's going to be an utter disaster, but um, it's definitely not going to be the strength that it has been in past years. Yeah, and I'm I'm willing to be open to the idea that you know, development takes place between now and September, you know, I mean, it's, especially when we think of, uh, you know, the, the right tackle, uh, Hillborn, Christian Hillborn, uh, who right. started out there in the Sun Bowl, who looked, um, so, so bad in the first half, but then, you know, I mean, I do want to, you know, point out, he came in in the second half periodically and, and was not glaringly noticeable. Horrible. He was not noticeable. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, at the risk of sounding, you know, a little too Pollyannish, it's like, well, you know, I mean, he from first half to second half, he figured some things out, and you know, it was first time playing live action against actual men, and so it didn't go great. All right, well, maybe that's you know an indication of his true talent, and maybe that's an indication of a guy who was lost, you know, and overwhelmed, and and really just kind of you know had a bad game. Um, you know, if he's as good as they think and, you know, they're high on him, then, uh, you know, maybe he, you know, gets, he looked to me a little heavy, maybe not, but he looked a little heavy to me, you know, maybe he gets in a little better shape. He's figured some things out, refined some technique, gets a little stronger between now and next fall. I mean, he was a true freshman, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I'm willing to hold out hope true that, <laughs> that they can figure it out. You know, that and, and, you know, there's always, as we've you know said ad nauseum, the transfer portal out there. It does seem like there's fewer offensive linemen and maybe that's not I, I don't know if that's just purely anecdotal or not. Um, you know, maybe it's just because guys that go in the transfer portal who are linemen, um, you know, just don't make as big of a splash. But it certainly seems like, you know, you get more transfers from. Uh, you know, particularly offensive players who, you know, but there's only one ball, you know, there's one right. quarterback or, or, you know, uh, you know, one or two running backs who carry the ball or, you know, cup two or three wide receivers who play. So, uh, you know, maybe there, maybe that's just anecdotal. I don't know, but it sure seems like there are fewer quality options out there with the offensive line. Um, so, I, you know, I think we all hope that they can find someone who can play immediately on that line and, and shore that up you know, maybe one, maybe even two, if they could find, if they could find two, that'd be rad. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, they're obviously looking for a running back as well. We saw that Nathaniel Pete from, uh, Stanford, uh, said he had been, you know, announced he had received an offer. Uh, that would be a great guy to pick up. Yeah. Hopefully they can land a yeah. running back, you know, and to go along with that offensive line. Um, so it's, it, it it seems like there's a lot to still happen with the portal here and uh a, a long way to go um yep. before we uh before we wrap up what the roster is going to look like in in August so uh it's it should be interesting uh to follow I, you know the portal it, it it just makes you know movement is is more uh frequent and then with NIL that's even uh that adds on a layer of it um, yep. which, you know, for me, and I know for you, I'm happy to see the players get some, get the agency that they deserve. Um, and 
I, I would, you know, if, if you're worried about them leaving everywhere, um, I recommend uh, uh, reading Jacob Thorpe's column in the spokesman yeah. today, um, you know, online uh, about, you know, potentially, you know, if, if there was just a, a system in place to literally give the players a share of the revenue, you, you potentially could see these players stick around longer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the answer to people crying about bowl games, too, right? Do you know, pay yeah, the player, the, the literal players, they're not going to sit out for playing in the game. Yeah. If you're yeah, only paying pay them and they're not going to sit out in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Jacob Thorpe's uh, piece is great. I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I love what's happening with the NIL stuff. I mean, I, you know, one thing that people, you know, talk about getting concerned about with the NIL stuff is, you know, well, you know, that's, that's money that would be going to the athletic foundation. True. It would. And I am ecstatic that instead that money is flowing directly into the pockets of the players. Like I'm, I'm 100% okay with that. And and I know that uh, it's not a real popular opinion with some people because, you know, they, they like things the way they are and, and fear change, but, but they're, that um, those know, days are gone, folks. You're going to yeah, have to adjust. And the, the, and the players are the ones who make the product. Sorry. Um, so whatever, whatever they can get into their pocket, I am, I am all for. And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, if you don't, you don't like it that way, then negotiate something above the table. You know, it's, it's a, to me, it seems like a pretty simple solution, you know, pay them, pay them. And then you don't have to worry about that pay them. And then, you know, and it'll still be there, but the incentive to go elsewhere will diminish, you know, and then you could potentially also, you know, sign contracts that, uh, you know, tie a guy to a university for two, three, four years. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's ways, there's ways to make this happen. Um, it's, it's, you know, as Jacob said, it's probably time to start pretending or stop pretending that, uh, that we're not already that, you know, college, college football hasn't already been professionalized, but I do think that what is, um, what's kind of happening now, just not to go too far on a tangent, but, um, I, I, one of the other reasons why I love, what's happening right now is, is, is I think it's going to clarify for a lot of people what matters to them with college football. You know, up until this point, a lot of people said, you know, what really, really mattered was, you know, we don't, we don't want players to get paid. We want them to be like any other college student because I was a college student and you know, okay, fine, you know, great. And that's the, you know, the myth of amateurism and, and all that. Now people are sort of like needing to really, clarify what it is that they want, what it is that they actually connect with about sports at, at the college level. You know, Jacob Thorpe makes the case that, you know, what people connect with is this idea of, you know, who's on the team and uh, watching them develop and, you know, players being there for multiple years and that it's, you know, it's, it takes something away when, you know, you've got a constant turnover, um, constant roster turnover. And I think we could argue that that's probably true. Um, when you see what's happened with, you know, the upper level NCAA basketball teams, right. And, um, you know, just the, the investment there, uh, from fans, you know, following those teams and it's just not quite the same, you know, there's still March madness, which people totally get into. So it's great, but, um, but it's not, you know, it's maybe not quite as fervent, you know, in the time leading up to it. And so much of that I think is, you know, nobody, nobody's quite sure who's on which team, um, you know, teams that are ranked number one or number two or number five, you know, are typically teams that have brought in, 
you know, high level, you know, top 10, top 15 recruits to, to, you know, just guys you've never heard of. So all, all that to say, I think people are kind of like being forced to reckon with what is it about college sports they really like. And I think they're going to find that paying players really makes no difference at all um, in terms of their fandom. And, uh, and I think ultimately, ultimately the, the solution is pay them because um, that'll solve, that'll solve a lot of the issues without um, detracting from, you know, the things that, people are so worried about about losing because those things have been lost you know as paul wolf famously said so <laughs> innocence lost um yeah it's already yeah. happened man it's already <laughs> happened it happened decades well, and ago honestly a lot of uh, you know a lot of this nil stuff was was just a, a shadier business before it was definitely already yeah it's just above the so, table now yeah yeah it's just it's just allowed now and um, people, by the way, who weren't, who maybe were reluctant to be shady before, are like, actually, let's let's do this. You know, I, I tend to think that the bags that WSU is dropping right now uh, are are significantly higher than the bags we've ever dropped. So, you know, we are. Yeah, I'm not. We've gotten not the green sure light, if, and we're not, we're going. I'm not sure if Jed Collins and Robbie Toback are going to be uh, handing out bags uh, in the in the old in the old way. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to think the answer is no. Yeah. So, um, so now, yeah, yeah so, we brought them into the fold. Now, let's do it. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's let's. I'm just glad we got in place, and um, good luck to all the guys that have left. Welcome. Yep. Cameron Ward, sling it around. Yep. Throw let's do it. Fifty TDs next year. Would love it. I'm fired up. Um, yeah. So, uh, but obviously, Jeff. You know, you we were talking about, you know, the new the the what Dicker talking about rounding out his coaching staff today. I know you had some hot takes on the coaching <laughs> staff. So um, how are you yeah. feeling about about, you know, the, the staff he's put together so far, especially these uh, these position assistants? Yeah, uh, fine. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's on. it. I'm fine. Yeah. Seems good. Um, yeah, so These he retained, a, retained a couple guys. Uh, Barker, the 65-year-old safeties coach. Banker. Is, Banker, yeah. Banker, sorry, is retiring. Yep, he's retiring. Um, well, that's he didn't say that specifically, but he alluded to it. Um, which, you know, he's he's been a defensive coordinator for a long time and, and all this stuff, so good for him. But, yeah, anyways, yeah, they, it's, they have almost got it put together, which is the only thing – that I want to see is get coaches in there so they can recruit and yep. you know, especially recruit that portal. So, um, yep. yeah, that, that's, that's what we need. Uh, but yeah, so football news to start off during basketball season. What, what can we say? Uh, we give the people what they want. Um, but yeah, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk hoops. back and once again i lied i always lie uh we're not gonna talk hoops yet we're gonna talk beer um jeff uh what are you drinking tonight 
I, uh, last week, found myself with a couple of hours, few hours to kill in Tacoma. Uh, needed, my, my wife, Sarah, was at, at the doctor, and, and because of everything going on with COVID, I was not allowed to come in and hang out. So I, uh, I went ahead and drove over to the uh, engine house number nine, which I don't know how recently it reopened, but I think it's, I think it's fairly recent that the, that the pub reopened and got some uh got some food and yeah. oh it was a few months ago okay uh got some food got some beer got some uh got some basketball watching in um and so i picked up picked up some bottles and some cans and this is this is one of them i picked up i've had uh this is the meraki meraki barrel aged farmhouse ale which, which uh, number flavored this is the batch number five and I had, I've had the a couple of the earlier batches when, uh, when the pandemic first hit and, and E9 opened up, basically opened up their cellars and we're like, here, we're selling everything because we, we need to make money. Um, I bought a bunch of bottles back then, some of the earlier batches and loved them. So saw this, had to get another one of these. It's, it's wonderfully tart and, uh, it's got that berry, you know, blueberry, blackberry flavor to it. And, uh, it's, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah, the interesting thing about Meraki is they don't always, it's not always the same uh, fruit that they add to the beer. Um, so, like, Meraki number two is a, just straight up blueberries. I think that one's blueberries and another berry. I can't remember, blackberry or something. Or, or Yes, blackberry, um, blueberries and blackberries. Um, and then, but my favorite so far, and Meraki number one, I think, was just a straight up Saison. Like, so it didn't have anything in it. Um, but, my favorite one so far has been Meraki number three. I don't think there, I, 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 Meraki number four. Maybe it's Meraki number four. I, I feel like they skipped one of them, or maybe it was just so small that they didn't. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, four is the one that they've skipped. Three has been my favorite one. That one was actually made with Pinot Noir and Cabernet uh, Cabernet Sauvignon grapes. And yep. that that one is just super well done. Like it's one of my favorite beers that United has ever made. All the Meraki beers are good, but that one is is my is my favorite one. And I see that you yeah. had it in. Last yeah, I was gonna May. say looking back at my Untapped, it was uh, number one and number three that yep. I bought back then. So yeah, number one is uh, yeah. I think it's uh, on. Uh, yeah, it was just yeah. You know, it just says it's no a, fruits, just a sour ale. That one's yep. really really good too. Uh, just straight up no unfruited very good has a lot of funky vibes but yeah it's that's a I, that's one of the beers they put a lot of effort into for sure um, but they have an yep. incredible uh wild ale program if you are in to sour beers and saisons uh you should definitely check out e9 and tacoma uh they're one of the best in the yep. in in the state yeah. on the west coast whatever you want to say yeah, at that stuff. and what they're great about is that the stuff's not you know overpowering, overpoweringly tart and acidic that mm-hmm. um, you can get in a lot of beers that are that are you know that are sour and, um, and like I said, I hadn't had one in a while, and I was like, because oh, I actually went, so I actually bought these not at the pub, I bought them at the tap room because the pub didn't didn't have a bunch of stuff. They actually didn't have the lager that I had had there, which was fantastic. And they were like, Oh, they probably got them at the tap room. So I drove up to the tap room and then I was like, man, I haven't had, you know, a good sour, a good wild ale or a good Saison or anything. I've like, I haven't had that in a while. So, so I picked up a few bottles and I'm, I'm sure I'm glad I did. Absolutely. Um, obviously I love 
E9 uh, so, so much. Um, but uh, I am, so I have been on uh, some quarantine lockdown in my house for a bit because mm. uh, my daughter uh, brought home COVID from daycare. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I haven't tested positive for it and, and no one else has, but, you know, so we still got to just kind of hang tight. Uh, laying low. Laying low. So I haven't, you know, our, our, our kind of regular beer stash is tapped. So I've been really having to dig into my, into my reserve um, my cellar uh, recently. So I've been having a lot of big beers. Um, uh, you know, last week I obviously did. I had a big beer from uh, Sig. And, and, and this week I'm, I'm having one uh, that I just kind of buy. Like uh, I kind of got stronger. I remember when I bought this at Edison City Ale House. Um, one of my friends who knows I really like barley wine is like, oh, you have to get the spear. Just get the spear. Because it's not typically one I would get because it's not barrel aged. And it's, it's also a barley wine with, a, with an adjunct. Um, but it's called uh, Vanilla Maris, uh, and it's a collaboration between uh, Timber Ales in New York, Horace Ales in the L.A. area, Horace Aged Ales, and then uh, Mindful in Jersey City. Um, the most prominent of those is probably Horace Aged Ales. They, they, they've definitely hit the hype beast market pretty hard, making a lot of like heavily adjuncted stouts and stuff. Um, people seem to like a lot uh, above my uh, above my uh, weight class there in terms of I'd really have to you know if I wanted to trade for it I could but I'm really not into that game anymore um, so I haven't had many from them but this they were a collaboration on this I think it was brewed at Timber Ales in New York I don't know why they had it at Edison City Timber Ales maybe they distribute out here um, but so vanilla Maris Maris and so it has a picture of an otter and then a hashtag. Uh, B-I-L, which is Barley Wine is Life. Um, so uh, hashtag uh, Barley Wine is Life is something that basically the uh, beer blogger Don't Drink Beer, also known as Alex Kidd is his actual name, uh, kind of started because he's a big Barley Wine fan. And then he also, uh, Maris Otter is a type of malt uh, that is uh, very commonly used in barley wines, especially English style barley wines. And uh, so he kind of created this imagery of it, you know, like literally an otter. And so they definitely picked, you could tell these guys are fans of Dundrick Beer because they had, you know, they have this really cool picture with an otter and the hashtag BIL. So I'm, I'm of course, drinking it out of my, uh, one of my glasses that I have procured because I am a patron of Dundrick Beer um, that says Barley Wine is Life on it. And then it has these uh, kind of... Uh, he also has this joke about a lot of breweries will make uh, glassware and stuff that it literally just rips off nostalgia, you know, like video games or comic books or whatever from the past. And so he's got these like two otters. Uh, well, one's an otter and then it uh, looks like one's a, um, uh, a walrus. And the, the walrus is like, it's kind of in the style of Mega Man and he's shooting out cease and desist letters. Because usually what <laughs> happens is these... These these breweries make one off, uh, one off glassware or something, and then they get a cease and desist. But it doesn't matter because they weren't going to make it again anyway. And then some beer nerd pays like three hundred dollars after market for the glass because it looks like Ninja Turtles or Mega Man or whatever. Uh, because you know all of us '90s kids grew up and have jobs with money now, and we spend it on crap like this. Um, so it's pretty funny. And then it's got a little. This is the uh, Christmas edition. So the the walrus has a little. Um, has a little hat, uh, uh, 
has a little uh, uh, Santa hat on, and the and the the otter has uh, reindeer reindeer horns. And so I got this glass. Um, you know, they just offer it up to buy if you're a patron. Uh, it's made by a company called Permanent Hangover, who makes a lot of really funny like beer meme merch that sells out like immediately. <laughs> um, so it's cool. You know, I always I always like to drink my barley wines out of these glasses and. Um, this particular beer actually, you know, um, it's a big barley wine, unbarrel aged. Um, I thought it was going to be quite intense and unwieldy. Uh, but I think the vanilla kind of mellows it out a bit. Um, kind of almost gives it that vibe of being barrel aged without barrel aged because you're getting kind of a vanilla note that you might get from a bourbon barrel. Definitely without like the harsh burn of the barrel or, or, or the kind of the way the barrel might mellow out the beer a little bit by just balancing it. Um, so because you don't get like the oak to balance it, but it's 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 definitely big, sweet barley wine. Um, it's pretty tasty. Um, not something I chase after, but it's a lot. Uh, it's well done. Uh, definitely is something, you know, if you like barley wines to so check out. Uh, I bought it like a long time ago at Edison City Ale House. I don't know if they still have it. Um, uh, so, uh, but you know, if you see it, vanilla Maris, check it out. Timber ales, Horace age ale, Horace age ales and mindful ales. Check them out, I guess, you know, good luck with that Horace aged ale stuff. Uh, if you want to go and if you got some high value beers to trade, maybe you can, you can procure one of their, their bottles, but good luck on that. Um, but yeah, so that's the beer. Um, you want to talk about basketball, but I think first we should talk about a former WSU basketball player and yeah. always a Coug yeah. who has, who missed two and a half years of basketball of competitive basketball. Uh, but on Sunday, Sunday night came back for the first time. And that of course is our favorite guy, Clay Thompson, um, which, but that was just so cool to see. Um, you know, I, I tweeted that, you know, Clay Thompson is my favorite NBA team, which is like 100% true. I don't have an <laughs> NBA team. I don't even really root for Ooh, the Warriors that much. I know. Um, you know, but uh, it's, you know, my NBA team. I'm wearing my, a Sonics hat right now. But uh, uh, obviously, uh, I don't have them to root for. So I'll root for Clay's success. And, and, and I'm always happy to see that. And just to see him get back, to see him be on the intro you know, out of Washington State University, um, which it's so made my cool heart have, swell. Like yeah. I, I was like, I was like the Grinch in the in the movie where you know his heart grows. You know, however many times bigger it is. I three sizes. The, the line. Yes, three sizes. That's what it was. Yeah, my heart was three sizes bigger listening to that. And yeah, uh, I, I legit cried a tiny bit. I, I'm kind of oh, a crier anyway. I'm kind of a crier, but uh, it was just, man, I don't think there's anybody on the planet who loves playing basketball more than Clay Thompson. You know, uh, there are plenty of or professional athletes. being a basketball player. Yes. Like a yes. famous basketball player. <laughs> yeah. And to, you know, to have that, you know, denied and taken away from him for the last two and a half years. Uh, like I can only imagine, I mean, he, you can see it when he talks about it, right? Like, yeah. you know, the ha happy go lucky clay is just like, blah, 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 you know, but then like when he, you know, in that moment when he's getting a little introspective about it, like you can see that, uh, that it was not easy for him to have that taken away from him. Um, and that's, uh, you know, to, to see it handed back to him and see just the, the joy 
uh, on his face and the joy with which he plays. And, you know, in a testament to modern medicine, man, he looks awesome (laughs) already. I mean, he had this, he had a poster dunk in his first game, like, you know, coming off a blown up, a blown knee and a blown Achilles. And what does he do? Craig, I guarantee that you do not get off the floor with your Achilles the way that you did before you did your Achilles. Uh, Clay Thompson. I I haven't had quite the rehab that uh, Clay has had. (laughs) But that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the rehab, the surgeries, um, you know, I mean, there were days, you know, I mean, it's, it's in our lifetime that an ACL injury was a career ender. You know, it's like, that's, that's not that long ago. And really the ACL was the, the least, uh, yeah. serious of this you know because which is wild Achilles take much longer to heal yep and can be much more devastating and and if you want them to heal right you have to kind of do it slowly they used to just put them in a cast and then for six months and then it would grow back and then you come out and people would rip their Achilles again yeah uh, but now they you know you use it you use your Achilles as much as you can um, so that it, you know, it, it works itself back. And, and he took, you know, he was over a year from that, you know, my doctor told me it would be at least a year before it's fully even healed. And I don't even think it's going to be that way in a year, honestly. Um, cause that, that year's coming up for me in a, in a, in a month and a half. Um, but it, it for him to work, it's, it's, it's a pretty devastating injury. Like ACLs almost are uh, pretty commonplace for athletes at this point, you know, like it's, pretty standard, a, I think, in terms of what they do. But but Achilles are, are kind of newer that they've been able it's it's a little newer that they've been able to get athletes to work back into yep. it because it, that even more recently was a career ender. And yeah. when he had that on top, he was working his way back from the ACL. And then in a damn pickup game, yep, blew his Achilles. Like that—that's just so rough. You know, it's better than blowing it in your living room or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's—it's still—it's—it's it's obviously much worse for him because it's his livelihood and it's an identity as a human. <laughs> so, um, yeah. that's that's the incredible. And honestly, you watched him; he was, I think, frustrated. You know, he seemed frustrated with you know that he could only play. You know, they have him on the minutes cap. Yep, and then he seemed very pissed that he missed his first three. Yeah, uh, and it was really cool that he, he, you know, he scored the first bucket of the game and stuff. But um, you know, after the game, he was so like, he, he was like, "Yeah, I didn't, you know, I was a minus two on on the plus minus. I was, you know, I was seven to eighteen. That's not great." But but then he's like, "I just love that I'm looking at the box score with my name on it right now." Yeah. And that's just that's just what goes back to what you say. Oh, he just he just loves play of the game, like he's just so happy to be back, and he's just such a great and awesome like representative of our of our university, and like so it's yep. so great to follow him, and and so yep. it, you just want to see him happy, and so it was yep. it's it, it's been a really fun week watching him get back, and he's such an easy guy to root for. There are so many athletes, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. But also, you know, there there are so many athletes that, you know, constantly seem like they're in a 
they seem like they're in a constant state of anger <laughs> or, 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 you know, or, or I mean, what, whatever, you know, I mean, athletes, elite athletes motivate themselves in, in all sorts of ways. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll say like, obviously Clay lot- probably, um, had a little bit easier background than a lot of those guys. Too. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, is he, he, Clay doesn't probably like see basketball as I have to feed my family and take care of my family and Correct. everything like that as, Correct. As maybe some other guys might, because his he you know he he grew up with an NBA basketball dad, so it's a little bit yep. different, and that probably helps with his you know happy go lucky a little bit personality. Yeah, and he's you know paired with another guy basically like that too with mm-hmm. Steph Curry, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. You know, so they they're just they're really easy guys to root for. I know you said you don't really you know, cheer for the Warriors so much. I do. Like I kind of adopted them because I was like, well, Clay plays for them. And, and I love, uh, you know, I've probably mentioned this before, but I love uniquely talented players. Steph Curry is, you know, the definition of that. Um, you know, so I just, and, and they're really easy to, to, you know, to latch onto for, for the reasons we just mentioned, you know, I mean, they, they play beautiful basketball and that's fun. And, and, you know, Steph and Clay, um, you know, the splash bros, you know, they, uh, they take the game about as seriously as it should be taken, which is, you know, as a hyper competitive event, but ultimately a game. And, um, you know, they just, they want to play and, and it's fun and, and they're full of joy. And, and I love that. And, you know, as I'm watching here, um, a replay of the, of the Warriors game against the, you know, against the Grizzlies tonight, like, again, you know, he just, he just looks, you know, just so happy, you know, I mean, he, he got just, real mad that Steph pulled up from 28 on a fast break and clay was open over on the wing yes there's definitely a little bit you know i can see it in his face uh you know in this close game there's definitely a little bit of the uh you know the competitor coming out but it's like like i said it's um you know it's just it's just fun and i love it and, and i'm so happy for him uh you know he just he deserves it he deserves every piece of it um you know, obviously the, the most talented player I ever saw play any sport at Washington state, um, you know, just incredible, uh, and, and the development he made, you know, over his years at Wazoo and, and the player he made himself into in the NBA, man, he is, he has earned every bit of it. Um, you know, truly the, the definition of a gym rat and, uh, he's, you know, he, he deserves this man. He deserves it. I love it. Yep. Go clay. Um, we love it. I didn't like them taking uh, the Clay Day, you know, name from us. Uh, that was yeah. We had our own Clay Day, but I Come guess on, man. I guess the rest of the world could use Clay Day um, for that day too. Um, but yeah, so basketball, Clay Thompson. Um, you know, we got some hoopers on the team. No one quite like like Clay Thompson, at least yet. Uh, but finally, finally, finally. They want a damn basketball game <laughs> over <laughs> over someone who you know is ranked higher than two hundred and fiftieth or so. You know, so yeah, um, that was well. Uh, they they had only lost two in a row, but but it had been like three and a half it weeks. Was, it was two in a row, but it was something. like it was like four or five though too. So it was <laughs> yes, it was four out of five, and and just been it had been, been it had been since December eighteenth since they had won a game. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was good, man. That was that was fun. The Colorado game was a bit of a bummer. Uh just in the sense like you felt like they they were right there. Obviously, they had a lead at another another lead at halftime. Um, you know, Colorado you know, came it, out and it's you kind of feel, you know, if they had Noah for a bit in that game, yep. you know, the the difference is made up. Maybe. So 
maybe, you know, maybe they get a little more offense. I'm not sure how much of a difference it makes defensively because they just, you know, the, the issues were Batty and Walker. Um, those guys just absolutely annihilated uh, whoever we put in the post. It just did not matter. Um, so it's, you know, that that's a thing that's kind of got to get figured out. Uh, I, I don't know how you figure that out. To me, it looks like our bigs are playing not to foul, which is the easiest way to get a foul. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Or give up a bucket. Yeah. I'm honestly not sure what you do about that. Um, I, I don't know if playing Matt DeWolf a little um, is the way to go, but that's that's really tough, again, for, for spacing issues because if you've got – basically right now what we've seen is is having one big on the floor is kind of our most effective setup. Most of the time, whether that one is Gay or Abigidi or Jackson, um, that's that's kind of been our most effective setup. And so if you, you put DeWolf on the floor to go bang some bodies and hack some people and just kind of not let you not let you get run over in the interior, I don't I don't know what else you do with the other guys, but um, it's it's quite a quandary, quite a conundrum. Um, I don't know that Kyle Smith has a lot of answers because he went zone against Colorado and that was like the worst of both worlds where we're giving up easy buckets and also uh, our guys were fouling out. So I don't know. Uh, it was better against Utah, but still, you know, Utah went to work inside a fair amount as well. And yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. It doesn't, it, it doesn't get a lot easier on that front. Know, I think we saw the, you know, the offense, you know, it was particularly inside the paint or inside the arc a little bit better again better against Colorado that 60% 21 to 35 yep. from twos yep. Huge that was that was that was positive um you know obviously they didn't shoot you know Michael Flowers going one and nine of three from three was rough uh he had a real yep. bad game one of his worst yep. um and and that was that was obviously detrimental um in and maybe that's where Noah makes a difference if he plays yeah, yeah maybe you know Flowers doesn't take Nine, maybe Flowers has a couple more looks inside the arc or whatever. Um, it, but one thing that was, you know, Mohamed Gay against Colorado was um, largely a non-factor offensively. Uh, he took two shots, missed a couple free throws. Um, you know, he obviously had to play a lot of defense, um, pick up some fouls, whatever. Uh, but, you know, F.A. and Deshaun were both uh, in foul trouble quite a bit, so... Yeah, that was rough, and you know, but they still, you know, had a chance at the end. You know, they were there; um, they just couldn't pull it out. Um, but you know, it was nice to come back against Utah. Got a little injury luck against Utah to have Brandon Carlson out, and that I'll once that it. happens, it's like you got to win this game. Like you got to win this game. Like if if Brandon Carlson is out against a team that you're already better than with him, and they went out and they did, they took care of it. Uh, absolutely ripped them apart offensively, which was good to see. Um, it's finally, they've been running pick and rolls all year. Yep. And it's finally good to see, you know, obviously Utah's defense sucks, but Hey, they made Utah's sucky defense look bad. And that is something that in the Kyle Smith era has not happened very often yep. is they make a bad defense true. look bad. Absolutely true. Yeah, they uh man they they <laughs> they pounded them so hard with that pick and roll and it took them an entire half really to adjust. And then they came out of the locker room and adjusted and they sent uh they sent someone from the weak side to to help sort of defend it which got WCU discombobulated for a short time and 
you know, we had one of the, uh, the dreaded scoring droughts, but then after that, um, you know, we kind of figured out from there, okay, that's where the help's coming from. And then we started picking them apart with that. So, um, yeah, real nice to see. I, I, I think that's just been, I think there's a familiarity, you know, we know that they haven't been able to practice together as much as, as you would like, uh, you know, for guys like that. So, uh, to work on that chemistry, you know, requires practice. And we know FA's kind of, I, I think at this point, kind of sitting out about every other practice to, to manage his knee issues. Yeah. I mean, uh, like even we just look at, uh, you know, this weekend from Colorado to Utah, um, looked like a totally different player against Utah and not in a good way. Right. Like against Colorado, he had all this spring and was getting up and, and was, you know, I mean, he, he really, you know, did some work on Colorado in the first half and then, um, and then not as good in the second half. And then against Utah, I mean, he was, he was fine against Utah, but he wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite the same, you know, we kind of didn't see that same athletic explosion that we saw against Colorado. So I, I know that's an issue, you know, they're just kind of figuring out with that. And um, one thing I love is that, you know, there, there was kind of a variety of entry passes, which I think is, yeah. um, you know, is, is the hard part is, you know, how do you get the ball in there? You can't throw it to the same spot every time. And, you know, there were a couple where they just sort of threw it up. You know, they could see that there was a mismatch and, you know, I'm just going to throw it up here toward the rim and, and let them go get it on the roll. And then, you know, it turns into a dunk. So well, um, and we saw I flowers, think they did a good job with that. We saw Flowers in particular show some, some patience and kind of let yes. it develop, let Gay get in position um, and then find that pass, you know, because they ran it like five or six times in a row. And and Colorado was trying to adjust on the fly. And, and so they just do something a little different every time. And it was quite a stretch to see that happen. Um, it was nice, you know, flowers got a layup off of it one time and all that. Um, you know, that's, that was nice. You know, I think what we saw that part of what made that successful is, you know, Andre Yakimovsky played 31 minutes in this game. Yep. Andre, he was basically playing the four, Yep. Or him or Rodman playing the four. And and then they were just because Gay played 17 minutes in the first half and only played four in the second because F.A. was playing in the second. Um, yep. And so, we you know, Deshaun just didn't. <laughs> they I guess they just didn't think he would. You know, again, like if Brandon Carlson plays this game, I think Deshaun Jackson plays 25 minutes. But uh, Deshaun Jackson played six minutes. So that was that was interesting. But yeah, so basically they were just in terms of the bigs, our three bigs, they were just rotating Gefe, FA and, and Gay. And and it ended up being FA uh, for the most part in the second half, but you know, they're I it I think what they really want to do and what they're probably going to move to is going with uh, especially with Noah when you can have Noah in there, um Noah and Bamba so you're not you're not coming out with like the we'll see yeah i think noah gets as noah gets back into shape he gets back into the starting lineup and i and i i i'm curious to see if they you know roberts is shooting really well and playing really well but do they stick with flowers and roberts at the one and the two and then go with like noah rodman or yaki and then fa or, or gay or deshaun or do they, uh, you know, or do they keep Bomba in there in the starting lineup? Or, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I think they, where they're going to find the most offensive success, at least, 
is is being able to spread defenses out more and kind of what you and I talked about you know but between us is um, one of the issues with you know with FA who has completely stopped shooting three pointers is and, and gay is rarely shoots them you know obviously and then yep. Deshaun never shoots them so when you have those two guys on the floor at the two of those three on the floor at the same time they're both just in the paint and you know maybe out to 15 or something and so there's just not a lot of space for guys to drive you know if you're running pick and roll uh, with one the other one's there he's got to be cleared out but he's not a threat to shoot a three on the backside or anything so right so um, easy for his man to help down and exactly disrupt those pick and rolls yep so it's it, it'll be interesting to see if they continue on playing you know yakimovsky really has earned playing time too he's playing well defensively if he hits his if he hits his shots from deep then you know he's he's hugely valuable um i'd like to see him you know they, they've used him even as a ball handler quite a bit again um i'd like to see him still like develop that inside game a little more uh because he he can get to the paint it's just when he gets there yeah. it is an adventure <laughs> it's like <laughs> panic time <laughs> and when when he was you know when you watched him watched his tape when he was uh coming from Europe, he went to the he went to the bucket all the time. Yeah, a lot. A lot. It, he looked like a it, point guard. Yeah, and it's so weird that he just he just doesn't have the confidence. I mean, he shot twenty percent on twos last year, so I guess that kind of kills your confidence. <laughs> but uh maybe but, you know, he's so I, strong I too. That's the other he's, piece. Yeah. I'm like that's why usually guys that struggle get defender. knocked off their spot. And he's not yeah. he can't get knocked off his spot. He's you know, 215 or 220 or whatever he is but he he has made by the way credit credit where credit's due i mean he has made 50 percent of his twos he is he is 12 yeah. of 14 so you see he's only taking 14 or 12 of 24 i mean so he's yeah, he's, only, he's, well, he's at a rate to barely exceed the one the number that he took last year of twos <laughs> yeah so. he's definitely like in a proportion of the shots he is taking taking more twos this year because he's at 24 yes. of his 24 of his 58 shots or twos last year was 44 of its 147 shots yep. so he's you know he's taking roughly 40 percent versus 30 percent whatever um yep. so he's taking them getting more. To the foul line getting to the foul he, line yeah too. he's getting to the foul line a little bit more i mean that comes with taking two-point shots you know uh you know he's hitting 47 percent of his threes so hell yeah man keep up with that um but it it's if you know if he just i i i see him as a guy that could be higher than a 15 percent possession uh yes you know he could be a 20 plus percent possession guy uh but he just needs to be a little bit more assertive and and then it's even easier to keep him on the floor uh because yeah. he's providing a lot more defensively i think than they ever expected at this point um and you know he's just pesky he's not like he's He's not the primary rebounder, but if, if there's one there to grab, he was doing a great job against Utah uh, grabbing offensive rebounds or, you know, playing that just pesky uh, bothering a guy and tipping it to someone else, you know, game. So, you know, I, I like to see that from him. And then obviously, you know, Gay is, is, has been pretty consistent, but he's, you know, should be a high school senior. Uh, so it's, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to 
you know, people might, yes. you might get frustrated because it's like, wow, he five of six, 11 points in this game. And they had like two points in the last game. Like it's really just, you know, he's figuring it out, man. Like he's figuring it out. And he's, he just makes such incredible plays when he makes them. So you could, you're like, keep doing that. Uh, but yeah, you know, and it was good to see Noah get, get back in there. Um, have a pretty solid game. Uh, a really good game. Yeah. Like that was a pretty vintage Noah Williams performance like you know he wasn't pressing it he wasn't trying to take over he wasn't out of control he was opportunistic and yeah i told a guy he was too small which was great and uh yeah i mean that was pretty that's pretty awesome to see i think that was more than anybody expected i'm sure it was more than than the coaches were expecting yeah i think he He probably played himself into more minutes than they expected yeah i think so he because he looked good he didn't look like he was getting winded Despite say, the lack yeah, of practice, practice time. once in the last two weeks. Yeah, so maybe you know maybe that's what we needed. I, I you know, you mentioned who we who we end up starting going forward. I mean, Terrell Roberts had a amazing weekend. You know, he was the really the MVP of the weekend. I mean, we've you know talked so much about you know the bigs or whatever, and um, but so much of that was you know Terrell Roberts finally I think playing like the guy that we we thought he would when when we signed him, and if he keeps playing like that. Um, you know, that makes up for, you know, whatever defensive questions there are. And even defensively, he was, he was fine until we went zone. So, I mean, you know, the zone was, you know, that, that zone for the first two years of Kyle Smith, the zone was actually a pretty effective tool, um, but we're just smaller on the perimeter than we've been. And it was really obvious against Colorado that, that that's, that, that zone is tough when you're, when you've run in two guards out there that are, you know, five eleven and six, one, maybe you know, maybe that's all, uh, makes, makes life pretty difficult, but, but otherwise, you know, it seems like he's kind of figuring some things out defensively. He's a hell of a competitor. Um, I'm sure that's, you know, a big part of what the coaches love about him. Um, he was getting to the rim, you know, he took almost as many twos as he did threes, um, and made half of them. So, I mean, what, I don't know what more you could, you could really ask for. He, he was great. If he keeps playing like that, um, yeah, that's a real, real big difference maker for the offense. Yeah, and what they got coming up this weekend, obviously they, they it was going to be a game on Wednesday, but now it's a game on Thursday at 2, still on ESPNU. By the way, uh, if you're looking for that game on your uh, on your schedule, I just today I went and looked for it on ESPNU, and it was just this like generic college basketball placeholder. Um, so if, you, uh, um, if you're listening to this before the Stanford game, uh, you might need to, if you like to DVR the games like I do, uh, just in case they win and you want to watch it again, um, uh, I would recommend uh, going and finding and manually setting your DVR because if you have that you know, Washington State basketball automatic record like I do, it's going to miss it because it doesn't say anything about WSU basketball in there. So uh, WSU plays Stanford at 2 o'clock, annoyingly, on Thursday. Um, but Stanford... Uh, now is looking like a, a much bigger fish, <laughs> much fatter <laughs> catch. Yeah. Yeah. Now that they have beaten USC today and gave gave USC their first loss of the season. Yeah, uh, that was shocking. Uh, I I don't think shocking is too strong of a word to say there. Um, yeah, uh, I you know I wrote in my Monday column that Stanford would probably be, despite Stanford being ranked higher than Cal and Ken Palm, they'd probably be the easier of the two games just because of some stuff that Cal brings to the table. 
but yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I do like the fact that they are uh, coming off a really big win and having to fly up to Pullman and then play us in a 2 p.m. game. Yeah, I think that I think that's that's to our, our benefit. Um, unless the crowd is super depressed, then maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking myself into something that's not there. But uh, at the same time, you know, I don't I don't mind uh, team playing, you know, playing uh, in California and then having to fly to Pullman and play two days later. Uh, I don't mind that at all. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, great opportunity for a sweep this weekend for sure. Even if, um, it's a little more formidable than maybe we thought, but you know, weird stuff happens. And even if, uh, Stanford's a little better, it's, you know, it's probably good for our tournament chances to have them, you know, beating USC. We beat them who beat USC. If we, if we can win the game and you know, that's, that's good. I think the best thing for the league, any, any team, outside of the top three hoping to get in the tournament right now is that, you know, three teams separate themselves a little bit and then they can beat each other and get big win. They, they can beat everyone else and then beat each other. And then, you know, Stanford uh, coming into that game was one-on-one in net. You know, I got to think they're going to jump pretty significantly um, after being USC. We'll know in the morning, but uh that that becomes you know a better looking uh game and hopefully you know a better looking win if WSU can get it you know looking at Stanford um you know you know what 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 I worry about most is the rebounding you know especially if we're playing smaller Stanford's very good defensive rebounding team maybe harder to get our second chances against them and then uh they're very good offensive rebounding team too um but where they WC can kind of make up those possessions is in turnovers. Stanford is real bad at giving the ball away. Um, and uh, WC is pretty good at taking it away and pretty good at not giving it away. So hopefully WSU can dominate that, that, uh, uh, that turnover game, get to the free throw line. Um, Stanford, um, you know, they, they, uh, they, they, not a big three-point shooting team, so it's kind of weird that they don't uh, have a great, you know, interior presence. But um, hopefully, you know, WSU. I it, here's the thing: WSU's favored in both of these games, and against Cal, uh, Cal looks better than they did at the start of the season for sure. Uh, but they're still, they've definitely, you know, they started. Well, I guess you know they started about 100, and they are about 100. I, I guess they're better better than they did when they lost their first two first couple games, and you know to UC San Diego in particular, uh, and you know got blown out by Florida, and, and but uh, but they've you know they they beat Santa Clara, uh, they beat Arizona State badly like we did. Arizona State's looking pretty bad now, um, so they you know they got they got some players. You know they they just had a tough weekend because they had to host USC and UCLA, which a lot of teams are going to take two L's doing that this year. So, uh, but, um, you know, they're coming in, they'll, they'll, they, they play on Wednesday, so they get a little more rest than, than Stanford does. Uh, but they got some, they got some hoopers, you know, they still got Antisevich. He's, he's annoying. Uh, yeah. Shepard is, is going to put up a bunch of shots. Andre Kelly is still going to guy that's going to be annoying. He's big body. Uh, versus our kind of thinner uh, front line, uh, so he he could give us some trouble there. Um, you know they they have a pretty solid defense, pretty terrible offense. Hopefully we can exploit that terrible offense by just shutting yeah. them down. 
and that that's what you'd hope there particularly on the you know just locking down the rebounds uh you know not giving up much of the foul line all that you know just not letting them you know they're a terrible shooting team just you know putting them in a bad place shooting which you know wc is pretty good at doing so hopefully that, that i i anticipate that one to be a bit of a defensive struggle cal's going to slow the game down hopefully WC way way way, yeah, way 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 down, way down. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, yeah. like Dick Bennett, slow down. Yeah, like they are slow, <laughs> slow. They they are three hundred forty second in the nation in average length of possession on offense. Like it is yeah. when they get the ball on average, it. they hold it for almost twenty seconds on average. That's and they, like and they don't bonkers. force they don't force many turnovers on defense. Nope, nope. Uh, so, so they don't get any quick buckets going the other way. And also a yeah. very good defensive rebounding team like Stanford. So this could be a t- you know WC probably got you got to make some shots this weekend because it's be a lot harder to get those easy buckets off the putbacks. So yep. you know if they go cold from three in one of these games, that could be pretty bad for WSU because the, these two teams lock down the yep. lock down the uh, defensive glass yeah. pretty well. And even and Cal you know, will WSU, give you threes. Yeah, Cal, Cal will give, give you threes. threes. Yep. So, so I anticipate against Cal, WC is going to shoot a fair amount yeah. of threes, and that game is going to be. I I'm just I can I can already see it now. That game is going to be one where we are sitting there and we're watching it, and we are annoyed. We are annoyed, and we are annoyed, and we are annoyed, and fans on Twitter are going bonkers. I thought Cal sucked. How come we're not destroying Cal? Like that's that's where I see that one going, uh, because it is. They are just going to be irritating, I think. Um, yeah. If we run away with it, that's great. But, but I, I, you know, if you were if you were asked whatever the line is on that game, I'd I'd probably take uh, Cal plus the points because I just think it's going to be, just think it's going to be a very annoying game, a very frustrating game. Um, you know, Cal is really going to test their patience. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think one, that's going to be annoying. One interesting thing is that if if they can get you know, Cal's not super deep. So if you can get, you know, Antisevich or Kelly into foul trouble, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mark Fox does not play guys with two fouls. He's there yeah. 300 and 300 and second in, in foul, uh, uh, two foul percentage, you don't know, two foul participation percentage, which means if a guy gets two fouls, in the half, what percentage of the, his normal minutes does he still play? Um, and for the Cal, it's less less than seven percent. So, um, which is one of the lower ones in the country. So, average um, by the way is twenty one percent. Average is twenty one. So, so they're they're going to keep those so really guys really on the bench. And and the guys honestly that are backing them up aren't you know aren't the same level of defensive capability and aren't the same level of rebounding in particular. Both Antisovich and Kelly, great rebounders uh, defensively. And if you can get one of them out, then maybe you can start, you can start working the glass. So, yep. you know, I don't know if they can find a way, you know, it's going to be tempting. They're going to give them the threes. They're going to take them. But if they can find a way to get inside and, and draw a foul on, draw a couple fouls on those guys, maybe, maybe they could, you know, get into the game they want. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be frustrating. (laughs) It's just, it it just is like, it's, it's going to be a slow, frustrating game. Yeah. Uh, But hopefully WSU, 
WC has a good opportunity to take both of these games this weekend. And, and honestly, I guarantee they that is their goal. They are not looking for a split. They are looking for a sweep. No. They need no. a sweep. If they, yes. if they want to reach their postseason goals, they need a sweep this weekend. Not a, I mean, when we say need, we don't know what they're going to need. We don't know what they're going to get later. But you're running out of games. You're halfway through right. the season. You're running out of time to make things up. And yep. so, you know, if you want to stay relevant in that conversation or get relevant in that conversation, you're going to need yep. to get a couple W's this weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's 30 games is <laughs> such a small amount, man. You could take just about any 30 game sample from an NBA team and find, you know, really, really good 30 game stretches and pretty bad 30 game stretches. And, you know, 30 games just isn't that much. It goes by real fast. And, like you said, they're just they're running out of time, man. They got they got to get some wins, and um, you know they've already coughed some up that that you know they needed to win, and so your your margin is just you know smaller. And the more you keep losing to teams like that, the more you got to beat teams like UCLA, USC, Arizona, which you probably already need to beat anyway. But um, you know you start you going from saying, well, you know, if you get one of those and win a whole bunch of other games, you're probably pretty okay. To well, now we gotta win two or three of those two of those three games, and then also right. maybe beat one of them again in the in in the Pac-12 tournament. And yeah, you just you know you'd like to give yourself you know some breathing room. I think if they go six and two over this stretch of eight games, so we haven't we haven't really talked about that, but they got a great stretch here, uh, very very beatable teams. Um, half, half at home, half on the road, but, um, you know, the really probably the toughest game is I think, uh, at Oregon, right? Like that's, that's the, that's the one that's probably the hardest. Um, you know, so it, it's, and the opportunities there, they, well, if they and, can get six of eight, they're probably back in the conversation. I don't know that they're necessarily, you know, first four out or next four out or anything like that, but they're, they're, they're back on the radar. They have a chance to play themselves point. into it. Right. They're back yeah, on the it, radar. And, and part of what puts them there is because after the win over Utah, they're 49th in net, which is not a bad place to, you know, that's a place where you no. can move up for where you can move into the field from. If they yeah. were sitting at, if they were sitting in the eighties, nineties, hundred right now. Yeah. You have a lot of work. You like, you, you yeah. pretty much have to win everything, you know, but, yep. it, but now they, they're, they're in a little more comfortable place because they're probably going to have, you know, if they go six of eight, they're going to be higher in the net than they are now. And if you're getting into the thirties, then you're going to be, the committee is going to look at you regardless. So you're going to be in the conversation if you're in the thirties in net. And so, yeah, yeah, they have a chance if they can keep stacking wins coming up against teams that they should, every, they can beat every single team, every, every one of these next eight games, that is is games that they can win. You know, it's funny the the Stanford away game flipped to a, a coin toss against WSU because of Stanford beating <laughs> yeah beating USC. But still, like their worst um, win percentage over the next eight games uh, in prediction, uh, their their worst probability is forty five percent at Oregon, which is basically a coin flip. And then fifty percent at Stanford, basically a coin flip. So they they're just they're in a position, you know. But what I'm writing about right now, and they've just not been lucky in these close games. And and they, you know, Ken Palm, their numbers think they should. His numbers think they should be 
11 and you know what are they they should be 11 and 4 or or 12 and 3 and then shot quality uh, another website that measures uh successive teams based you know predicts the how good teams should be based on the quality of shots that they get which is a very good predictor you know we we know watch shooting has the best correlation with success like it's just it's always shooting as the best correlation with success or or failure is shooting and so wsu based on their shot quality that shot quality thinks they should be 11 and 11 and 4 right now and if they had two more wins how would we be feeling about this team and so right. and frankly they're I mean let's say, let's the, say you take two of those losses off the board let's take the loss to Boise State off the board and the loss to South Dakota to State off the board. How do you feel at that point? You're feeling a lot right? better. You feel totally different. And, and and speaking of like WSU's luck so far is not it's it's not only been you know unlucky it's been extremely unlucky. They are you know, on Kempom's luck, which he defines as your winning percentage difference from what he expects versus what the reality is is 352nd, 16 percent. 16% lower. So he's he's expecting WSU to have won 76% of their games right now, which would be like 11.4 wins, whatever. Um, and they've won nine. So they've been incredibly unlucky. You can pinpoint some of that luck. You know, most of the guys before the South Dakota State game in the locker room puking their brains out, you know, some pretty key guys um, who were very clearly sick. <laughs> and then you, you have, you know, Noah and Bamba missing – uh, and two guys who have been starters quite frequently missing Eastern. Uh, you have guys still kind of recovering from being sick when, it, when you host uh, New Mexico state. So it's, there's, there are definitely some games, you know, and then plus, you know, that USC game was essentially a coin flip and it went against WSU and, you know, D Noah had a shot at the end. If that goes in, it's a different game, yep. you know? So yep. it's, uh, it's, and all that luck has essentially broken against WSU so far. And we, you know, we joked about it, but you know, Sherwood pointed out like they have not won a game where they led by less than any less than 19 points at one point. And so they're, they're undefeated in those games, all of their, all nine of their wins. They were up by 19 points at some point, including the Utah game where they were up by exactly 19 points at one point. And then if they were by up by 18 or they've led in every game, if they were up by 18 or less, if their biggest lead was 18 or less, they've lost every single game. So 0 and 6 with a biggest lead of 18 or fewer, 9 and 0 with a biggest lead of of uh, 19 or more. And that's it like that's crazy. And and I yep. and you hope and there's no guarantee that this changes like you just said Jeff, this is a short season. Weird yep. crap can just keep happening. Yep, for like, thirty games, they could just 30, like, keep losing just close keep games. Happening, we've seen weird crap in Major League Baseball seasons happen for entire seasons over and over and over again. Like so, the, like these are not big samples. Like it can keep happening, but if you want to have some hope, if WSU maybe if they got all their guys in there, maybe they figured out their lineup finally. Maybe you know they're not going to miss games because of sickness or whatever. You know, maybe they're just. Maybe they're going to hit a few more shots down the stretch in a couple games. Maybe we saw some of that luck start to turn around against Utah. 
maybe they can get some of that luck to turn around in the in this next stretch and 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 down you know in the second half of the season and maybe this team looks like the team you know because honestly where their rating is on Kempom and on net and and on uh on Bart Torvik where they're like in the top where they're like 26th in Bart Torvik yeah like, yeah, which is that's wild. Where I don't know where that this, comes from. That's, but, I mean, Bartorvik's is Kempom's old system, basically. Yeah, um, and maybe he doesn't cap garbage time in the same way. I don't know, but yeah, maybe. it's wild. But yeah, and I, that's probably part of it too. Uh, but uh, uh, he, uh, but that these are some numbers. Like, yeah, that's kind of where we expected this team to be. They started in the '60s on Kempom. They've moved up. We, if they would have moved up to 43, you would have thought they would have had more wins right now. Yep. And they don't have them. They're nine yep. and six. It's a bummer. We've been pissed off. But but maybe some of these games will flip for them and and we can have a lot more fun in the second half. That's what I'm hoping for. That's my that's my uh that's my positivity is that they will flip and they'll start, you know, they'll they'll get the games that they'll get the wins that fit their talent level. And, and maybe some of the more, you know, some of the experience for the younger guys and, and maybe the team will have a bit more cohesion and, and, and it'll just all work and it'll click. And because it's still there for them, it's not over. They can still play themselves into an at-large bid. Um, there's still a chance. They just have to win a lot of games and they have to win more games because they've been unlucky so far. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I'm I've been writing that post. Hopefully I'll get it done tomorrow. Uh, you know, so you guys can all read it. Um, but you get the preview on the podcast. Um, so yeah, you know, as always, we talk about the men's basketball team for an insanely long time. Uh, let's let's, uh, <laughs> let's 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 switch to the to the women's basketball team real quick. Real tough loss against Arizona. Got you know, they made well they played them real tough for. Uh, you know, two of the four quarters, uh, the second and third quarter, not so good. First quarter, good. Or I mean, sorry, the first quarter, not good. Third quarter, not good. Second and fourth quarter is good, but really it comes down, you know, Charlize wasn't playing all that well, but then she steps up and, and hits a shot with, uh, about 30 seconds left to get them within two against undefeated number four, Arizona. So it's 54, 52. Previous two times down, uh, the refs had called touch fouls on WSU up top to put Arizona on the line for some, for some easy points. Uh, they do that again. Uh, they call a touch foul 35 feet from the basket on uh, when WSU just uh, hoping for a stop. Um you know, I, it was actually about 45 seconds left, I guess, 47 seconds when Charlie hit the three. So, you know, trying to get a stop and then a score to tie the game or win. Um, they call a foul. Cami Etheridge gets rightfully mad. They call a technical foul. You know, as refs like to do, they like to make a shitty call and then they like to compound it by teeing up the, the team when they get mad about that shitty call. And... Yep. The thing about technical fouls is they're not just two shots and then return to the return to the state of the game. They are two shots in the ball. So Arizona got four straight free throws, of which they made three. And then and the they got the ball back and scored. So it went from a two-point game 
to a seven-point game, 59-52, with around 30 seconds left. It was essentially over at that point. Uh, so what was coming down to the wire as a real close game, much like it was last season in Pullman uh, between these two teams, uh, was essentially just decided uh, in one possession with some help from the refs, which was real frustrating. Um, the, the, they came into the fourth quarter down by 15. They fought all the way back to cut it to two. Uh, played some great defense in the fourth quarter. And it's just frustrating that uh, the refs just want to want to give the game away. You know, just not, not let it be decided by the players and just kind of uh, decide it yourselves. Because if you're calling that tech, you're calling that – fine, you call the foul. But then you call the tech, maybe – you know, I don't know what Cammy said, but she it must have been real, real it bad. It couldn't have been that bad. If they're like, going to decide the game. It couldn't have been that bad to demand a technical. They have to know if they're calling a technical foul, they're ending the game right there. Right. Like, it's over. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's. You know, I mean, Pac-12 refs are... The, the only thing I can... The only thing, talk nooser, that I can conclude is that um, that the refs are you know taught to to do these things <laughs> you know because we've seen these things uh, happen over and over and over again on both the men's and the women's side um, you know we've seen far more you know sketchy officiating on the women's side than the men's side after yes. uh, watching the watching women's basketball as much as we did you know last year. Um, realizing that you know perhaps the the level of officiating in women's college basketball is is even <laughs> less less impressive than than the men's side uh you know but the men's side like they just you know they are you know taught to be involved i guess because th- that's the only thing i can conclude after watching watching them consistently insert themselves into games after consistently watching them um you know call things super tight around the basket to the point that you know nobody can really play their big men you know, the way they want to, um, you know, I mean, I it, the game against Colorado, like, like the big men, uh, made up, I, I want to say like 17 of the 42 fouls. Um, they, they were the big men between the two teams, the six guys who played in the front court for the two teams were committing fouls at a rate of 8.5 or 8.1 or something like that per 40 minutes, <laughs> you know, like, and it's just, <laughs> I don't understand why that's why that's a thing. I mean, you watch other conferences; it's just not like that, you know. And they, I, I don't know why the Pac-12 has decided that they want to do things uh, differently or they want to interpret things more strictly or whatever. But it really is, man. It makes it, it makes it hard to watch the games, man. There's there's not enough flow, and um, and then they do things that you know have you know sort of an outsized influence over the game and. It just, it just really doesn't, it just really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, it's, it's frustrating watching, uh, you know, not the players decide it. And I know that's kind of cliche and, and I get it. I mean, if, if it, you know, if things are a foul, it's a foul. Like I'm not saying don't call fouls because it's late in the game, but also, you know, maybe, uh, have a little discretion and, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, late in the game against a top 10 opponent, maybe is not the time to tee up a coach for a borderline thing. Um, I have a hard time believing that she said anything that was that bad um, where you had to do that. You know, I mean, maybe she'd been warned earlier in the game. I don't know, but it's just kind of, it's just not necessary. It's really not. And you don't have to, you don't have to. (laughs) And as I've always said with 
Pac-12 officials, it seems like they look for reasons to make calls instead of reasons to not make calls. And to me, that's sort of a fundamental, um, you know, difference and a discrepancy between what is and what should be. Like you should, you should be looking for ways to not get involved um, if you can, if you can help it. And Pac-12 officials are always looking for reasons to blow their whistles or throw flags. And I don't know, man. It's I don't know if it's a West Coast thing or the way they're being taught by their officiating chiefs, but. It sure is frustrating, man. It's like, you know, I watch some NBA. I watched, you know, like I watched the clay games. I watch a fair of a uh, fair amount of NBA and, you know, the amount of body contact they let go in the post um, is, is a lot compared to what PAC 12 officials let happen. And, you know, it's, it, it's really frustrating to watch, you know, so much body contact um, get called. And I just, I wish they'd, I, wish, I know that NBA officials are the best officials on the planet, but it sure would be nice if they would, Maybe take a little bit of a clue or cue from that and just, you know, just let some things go, man. Just let some things go. Yeah. And, and now that leaves, uh, you know, it obviously WCU wouldn't necessarily have won that game without that call. You know, it's, you know, they still would have had work to do, but it took away the chance at a big win that could really help them because they're sitting 75th in net right now. Um, They need some boost. Uh, this weekend they're playing at UCLA, at and at uh, USC. Uh, you know UCLA, not the team they were last year when they got a top ten win over them. They're actually sixty sixth in net. They're five and four right now, um, and uh, Southern Cal is fifty uh, fifth in net. So these are two games. You know, potentially WSU could win on the road, and either one of them would be a solid uh it would be a uh, quadrant one win because uh, it on the road quadrant one if they're top 75 so uh the two opportunities for quadrant one wins uh, on the weekend here against teams that they can beat so uh this is a really big really big weekend for wsu if they want to get back again like we were talking about the men get back into uh the the conversation for the tournament, they they're gonna need to. I mean, they at least need a split this weekend. And and you know, getting a split this weekend, you'd have one, you know, Q one win, a quadrant one win on there, and that would be helpful. Um, I think because it probably both these teams will stick around in there because the schedules they play and everything. Uh, so it you know you it, they're obviously on the fringe, but still it's. Uh, getting one or two win, you know, getting one win this weekend, getting two would be amazing. Getting one would be great. Uh, so big weekend for them um, at, at the Southern California schools. Uh, Cause you know, really there, there's not a last year, there was three top 10 uh, PAC 12 teams this year. There's two. And then there's a lot of the kind of 20, 20 to 30 range. Um, so there's less chance for the big, big wins. Um, so you need to stack up these kind of middle middle tier wins that actually, when they're on the road, count as top tier wins. So, um, you know, they you know, obviously they showed against Arizona they can go toe to toe with anyone in the in the yeah, anyone but Stanford. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and, yeah, that's that's a different. Uh, but you know, that's just the whole thing. But anyone but Stanford they can go toe to toe. They showed last year they played both of these teams down to the wire in overtime. They lost both of them in overtime last year to these, these both these teams. Uh, USC and Southern, you know, and, and UCLA. So it, it's, uh, it's a big weekend uh, for them, especially when they couldn't get that big win last weekend. And then 
they miss another opportunity with like you know a t- you know 40s range team against Arizona State because that game was canceled because because of COVID in Arizona State's program. Hopefully they get it back at some point. Uh, but but that was an opportunity they missed, and they have two more opportunities this weekend. Um, hopefully they can capitalize because uh, they really need it right now. You know they're not in the picture. They they need to win some games. Um, so hopefully they can get that done, and uh, we can start talking about you know looking at their their bracketology uh, going forward. Yep. Yeah, it was always, you know, the last season was built on a handful, really built on a handful of big wins. And so, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always kind of thinking like, uh, you know, are they are they are they poised to really take a big step forward? You know, you could see avenues to that, you know, if Bella got uh, more consistent, more effective, um, less foul prone, things like that. Uh, you know, if, if Crystal settles down some of the turnovers et cetera, et cetera. And you said, okay, but, but ultimately it just, it, it kind of felt like to me anyway, that the, the follow-up act would might actually be kind of tough. Um, you know, because there, there wasn't really a super obvious path toward making a big jump. And so, and I think, I think you're kind of seeing that, you know, the record's good, but you know, ultimately, you know, they're going to have to show that they can beat some of these teams again, like they did last year. And, you know, and, and hopefully they can, perhaps they can. Uh, but you know, they've, they've missed a couple of chances already. Now the pack, as you mentioned, you know, pack 12 wins basketball, lots of chances to get wins like that, but still it's, um, you know, at some point we gotta, we gotta get some of these just kind of like the men as well. And, uh, you know, yeah. So this weekend's going to be big, big in that regard. Yeah. So this, you know, this weekend is potentially the first of uh, you know, I think Oregon is in the top 30. Oregon states are on the top 30. Uh, you know, Washington's not good. They have two games in a row against them, but then you're play you're in a lot of Q1 opportunities, but again, you have to, you have to win them. You have to get some, um, you know, quadrant one wins. They have a lot more quadrant one opportunities than the men's team does. And, uh, you know, that was part of, you know, like you said, they were able to stack some of those last year and they're going to, they're going to need to do that again to make up some ground here. Um, you know, they have that Gonzaga win. That's a quadrant one win. So that one's still in, that's in, you are not taking that one away. Gonzaga is not, they're in, they're like 33. They're not going to fall below 75. There's no way. So that's, that one's going to stay. That one's going to stick. Obviously you can hope, you know, I won't say root for Gonzaga, but you hope they don't fall too much. So it looks better. You know, it looks as good as possible. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, should be a fun weekend. Friday, Friday at seven, uh, Sunday at uh, noon. Um, the they're both on. Well, uh, so USC's game is on Pac-12 Washington. The UCLA game says Pac-12 Los Angeles. So I'm sure you can get it on the app, so you can watch both those games this weekend. Um, but yeah, so um, you know, we talked about clay. We talked about men's hoops, women's hoops. Um, I guess that's all, man. I guess all we have left to say is go kooks. Go kooks, Craig. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated.